Welcome to the Self-Fellowship Church Podcast. Here at Self-Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. We deleted our bumper video. It's gone. Okay. So, hi everyone. Good morning. Welcome. My name is Alex. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, this is my uh, tag team preaching buddy this morning. I uh, bear with me for a second. <laughs> that was the best bear. Don't groan. Dare you? It's a great bear pun. Sometimes I think I understand you people. I really don't. Um, So, what I will say is this, when you put a giant bear in the front seat of a car and drive through Starbucks drive-through, you get some very curious looks. Um, Most people seem to value it, but you know, it's not for everybody. And we'll get to the bear in a little while. Oh, that's not me. Ah, do we have any slides? (laughs) Ah. So, the slides are on the desktop, and (laughs) we'll just talk for a little while about just the bear and all those kind of things. So, we are in a series that we called Hindsight is 2020. It was this uh, opportunity for us to look back just on some of the experiences that we went through last year and talk about how we might do some things that will change what the next year looks like. Next week, we're moving on to a series uh, that we're calling, quite simply, Building Stronger Friendships. So one of the things that we were amazed about as a sermon planning team, uh, that we began to look at uh, what what are the relational needs of people in America in 2021. And this is a season where I love to do some kind of relationship series, and sometimes we'll talk about how we can parent better or grandparent better. Sometimes we'll talk about better uh, relationships in marriages and all those different things. But actually, when you look at some of the details of what's going on in our world, one of the greatest needs is friendship. About 10 years ago, most people would be able to identify having at least six good friends. By around the last couple of years, it had dropped to two. The loneliest people in the world are guys over the age of 60 who've lost their spouses because suddenly they find out that all of their friends were actually their wife's friends and not really theirs. And so there's all these cultural things going on. So we just thought, you know what, let's take three weeks before Lent uh, to talk about how we first might start friendships, second might build them better, and and thirdly, what does it look like to be friends with Jesus and and move in a friendship relationship with Jesus. So that's a short three-week thing we're going to be doing, and then we'll be into Lent and we're doing a book study on the book of Ruth, and those of you that love to go verse by verse will be in your element because this book is just a dream as it leads us up to Easter. Lent is this fabulous season if you've never done it, or maybe you've done it as part of a Catholic church and you're kind of not sure about doing it again. Lent is this season where we recognize that there's times where it feels like God is absent, Uh, And that sometimes recognizing that as it builds us up to Easter makes the joy of Resurrection Sunday and everything we celebrate in who Jesus is and what he did just shine all the more brightly. So we'd love to invite you into that journey. So this is where we've been so far. 
Over the last three, three weeks since the start of the year, we've talked about these three principles that we might learn from our experience of 2020, to live in gratitude. The first thing I noticed is that there was some stuff that maybe I hadn't appreciated before that I needed to learn to appreciate. Just being able to sit in a coffee shop was something after 2020, or sometime around April, I was like, oh, I miss the community vibe of, of that. There were so many things that just stood up to just being able to drop over to a loved one's house, being able to get on a plane or in a car and drive were all things we suddenly said, oh, I miss those things. We live maybe better in gratitude when we learn from that experience. We maybe can learn to choose to gather and to build community where we can. Did you notice that there were things that we missed? But when we got to the heart of it, it wasn't the thing itself, it was the people behind the thing. I suddenly missed going to the gym. But actually what I missed was the people I used to work out with at the gym. You maybe had a place that you used to go regularly and suddenly you said, I, I miss those people. I don't miss being in the office, but I do miss relationships in the office, all those type of things that allowed us to gather, we said, I miss those. Relationships are so fundamental to life. And maybe we learn to choose to gather more intentionally. And then last week, we talked about growing on purpose. We looked at how the language that the Bible uses about Jesus was that Jesus grew intentionally and on purpose in wisdom and favor with God and man. It was a purposeful action. God works in us, and that starts the work, but we have to choose to participate with God and, and think about all the things you experienced, all the negative things. What we said is there are actually ways that you can take negative experiences and say, I'm going to choose to learn from that. And then this is the fourth one. So, yeah, ignore that. We'll talk about the fourth one today. So this is Paul for the last time. He's in this little place called Philippi, over there where the P is. One of the X's is where he's stuck in prison somewhere, and overall the theme of this book has been incredible in spite of all the challenges, and think about it in comparison to our 2020, all of the challenges, his constant refrain is this, because of God's good grace, we can choose joy at all times. Even in the midst of trials, Paul says there's joy. You can find ways to be joyful. This is the epistle or letter of joy, it mentions the word 16 times, which is just, for the size of the letter, just an incredible amount of time. And so for those of you that like to know where we're going this week, uh, I'll reference the passages as we come up. Grab your phones, take a picture, jot them down. They'll be on social media during the week. This is our journey for today. And this is what Paul would tell us. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we'll carry on a little bit further later. Let's pray and we'll get into all the wonderful things this says. Jesus, as a community here at home, wherever we are, we see some stuff in this verse that already begins to speak to us, I'm sure. In so many ways, we find ourselves to be anxious people, especially when we don't keep our eyes on you. For those of us that don't know you, you invite us into relationship. For those of us on a journey that feel distracted, you invite us to turn our eyes back to you. God, would you speak to us through these words that you breathed on? You made this book alive. May you make us alive in new ways. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.
So let's start there. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Paul, in the midst of everything that's going on, says, no, you can rejoice. In every situation, and he's in a bad situation, he says, rejoice. It's this little word, charete, which simply means be glad because of grace. Maybe you can remember back to week one, we talked about this word eucharisto, which meant be thankful for all good grace. It talked about being able to say that God's grace has worked well. Even in a situation, it was a declaration that God knows what he's doing. It's okay. And in this situation, Paul will go a little bit further and he'll say, no, be glad because of grace. Find a way to see God's grace working in your life. Now, if you're not following Jesus at the moment, that's fine. We're so glad that you're here. We're so glad you're listening or watching online. There are things that you can be glad for. And you need someone to thank, I would suggest. This is a picture I took of sunset out on Pelican Lake. Laura's grandfather owns a place up on Pelican Lake in Minnesota, and they get the most startling sunsets. And so I sat with my girls late at night on the boat in the summer and just looked out at this sunset. And it was this moment for me of being thankful, of just enjoying the good, simple things that God had given me that week. We ate some wonderful food. We spent time with people we loved. My kids learned to fish, and I watched the joy as they caught their first little fish and the heartbreaking decision they had to make when they decided, did that fish get to live, or was that fish going to be food, and all of the dilemmas that kids go through there. And I was thankful. Thankful that there were times where they threw the fish back. Thankful that there were times where we got to eat and they decided that the fish could be food. But this is what's called common grace. Everybody gets it. Everybody gets something that is good. You may not get all of those things that I just talked about, but there are things in your life that are common grace. And we get to be glad. And this, this verse takes it a little bit further because the first one talks about an inner thankfulness, a gratitude. This one talks about a declaration where you say almost out loud, no, God's grace is good. I am glad for the grace that I've been given. And that, of course, goes deeper for those of you that are choosing to follow Jesus right now because there's this recognition that this God works in your life that he has done things for you and in you. He has made your life what it is. Everything good in my life, when I look at it, it comes back to Jesus. I met Laura, I met my wife because of my relationship with Jesus, and that brought me the wonderful joy of my kids. I ended up here because of my relationship with Jesus. All of those different things come out of that. And so I get to go the next step, and I'm glad, not just for common grace, but for what theologians call particular grace. God has done something for me particularly. And I am glad and I rejoice because of that. And that is where Paul starts. And then he moves on to say something else which doesn't seem to fit within the rest of the, the little passage we're looking at. So we won't spend a ton of time on it. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The, this early church lived with this constant expectation that Jesus was coming back soon. Maybe something we struggle with today. It's been 2,000 years, and yet the, there's passages that talk about, well, 1,000 years and a day to God. There's not much difference. It's not like it's been a long time from this heavenly perspective, but for them, they lived with this, any moment Jesus could come back, and the world will be as it should, and so be ready. And for a Christian, that meant gentleness. One of the spiritual fruits or fruits of the spirit, just show the world that you can live like Jesus because he's coming soon. All of the things that are held against you, this was a group of people, remember we talked about in week one and two that's been persecuted, that's being attacked. And Paul says, you don't need to fight back. You can rest. You can be at peace. 
everyone will see one day when Jesus comes back, you were right, you did make the right decision, you don't have to argue your own case. And then, the next verse, and this is where we're going to spend a chunk of our time today. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. And yet we know, don't we, that anxiety in our world is huge. Statistically, anxiety has increased across the board for everybody over the last 10 years. If you're in the category of 18 to 25, anxiety has doubled. Now, before we get too far into it, there's definitely a difference between anxious feelings and a clinical anxiety. So there are ways that if you have clinical anxiety, there can be medication, doctors can help, you can go into counseling and all those different things. This isn't to make you feel bad, but every single one of us at times would own to being anxious, to being worried, to being concerned. There's that feeling that takes place where we sort of feel discombobulated is maybe a great word. The, the Greek word that Paul uses is this word meromnate. It means, quite literally, to be pulled apart in different directions. It's this feeling of, I don't feel whole, I don't feel complete right now. I feel like everything inside me is, is disordered and I, I just can't sit comfortably. I wanted to try and recreate some of that feeling a little bit for you. So I created, I found some of these images online, the images that are supposed to sort of give you that slightly anxious feeling. This is one of eggs slowly rolling off a conveyor belt and you get to experience that feeling. Oh, what happens when they crack? The eggs will be broken. That's no good. They're not supposed to break. How about this one? There's a, a balloon over a bunch of pins and it's slowly, it's going to descend at some point. The helium will run out and it will slowly start to land and then pop. It's gone. The bowling ball about to roll over all the packaging stuff and just the, the pop, 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 pop. And then this one is my favorite. This one is the one that got to me. This is the one I was like, ah, I don't like the look of this. I like clean clothes. And there's the <laughs> fountain pen with the ink and it's just suspended, just waiting to fall. And that perfectly white shirt will suddenly not be perfectly white anymore. And it shouldn't be that way, should it? It should stay clean and white forever. Look at that beautifully starched color and everything. It's clearly a person that knows how to dress well. Uh, and so these feelings give us a little taste of what we're talking about when we're talking about anxiety. It's a feeling of being uh, out of place, torn apart. I don't feel like I can sit comfortably in this situation right now. Paul talks about anxiousness. And this is a big topic, as I said, amongst sort of sociological conversations and how our, our brain work amongst psychiatrists. And it all comes down to these two incredible words, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. And I love it when the Bible matches up with scientific things that people are discovering and talking about now, because it just says that God knew what he was talking about all the time. You have these two nervous systems that work in you all the time. One is the sympathetic system, one is the parasympathetic system. You might know them by Two other phrases. The first is fight or flight, and the second is rest and digest. When you have that moment of tension, your body goes into what's called fight or flight. You either stand up to the problem or you run away from it, but something reacts. But what has to happen for that to happen is this. All of those other important systems, they shut down. They stop working. Your digestion literally stops working when you're in anxiety. When you go into the sympathetic nervous system, it stops 
functioning. Multiple systems just shut down so you can run as fast as you possibly can or fight as hard as you possibly can. So this is where our friend here comes into play. This is Red Bow Bear. I overthought him a little bit. I nearly put clothes on him and stuff like this because, you know, I just, whatever. But uh, I decided I was overthinking that. He's just a bear. He used to have a red bow, hence the name Red Bow Bear, but he lost it, but we didn't change his name. We felt that was cruel. So this is the kid's bear. And, and when we're talking about sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems, that movement from parasympathetic, rest and digest, all is well, is the same movement that would have been made if you were around 2,000, 4,000 years ago, and in the midst of looking for food, out trundles Mr. Red Bow Bear. Suddenly your system panics. Suddenly you lose all desire for food, you are no longer hungry, your body is no longer functioning in the normal ways. Suddenly everything in you says this, I either run or I fight. Now, here's, here's the thing. You are made to function in the sympathetic system for a short period of time, but you cannot function there for the long term. That's not what it's made for. It's made for crisis. It's made for emergencies. It's made for we've got to solve this problem now. So if you are constantly living in the presence of the bear, and by that I mean like constantly living under anxiety, multiple other things that are supposed to work, they just don't work in the way that they're supposed to. We cannot function in anxiety. On a natural level, that's just not possible. And Paul knows this. So his comment is, be anxious for nothing. And yet, here's the truth for our lives and for the Philippians. The Philippians' story is loaded with reasons for anxiety. We talked early on, Paul is in jail. He might die. He might be killed for his faith. Maybe he'll get out, but he probably won't. He's not seen these people he loves for years, and he's worried about their spiritual health. This church in Philippi, they are persecuted. They are not like there's a political leader that's going to start persecuting Christians in just a couple of years from now, and the tensions are already rising. There are multiple reasons in Philippians to be anxious. And I would suggest that's probably true for us as well. We probably can find multiple reasons that we could be anxious. Maybe it's what the future holds. Maybe it's our personal lives. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's work life. All of these different things, we can summon them up, I'm sure. Maybe it's just what's happening in other nations all around the world. Maybe it's coronavirus. All these different things are reasons for anxiety. We have them, just as this church in Philippi did. And yet Paul, I think, would say the same to us. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Here's a question for you. Why are we so anxious? I've given you a few different reasons, but I talked briefly about anxiety rising across the board. Why is that taking place? And what's, what's maybe the cause? And to, to sort of get to the bottom of this, I'd love us to take a look at a couple of different stories from the Old Testament and just see how people react. So the first story comes from Exodus chapter 16. It's going to cover verses 11, 27. It's on the list. It'll be on social media. But let's get into this text because it's fascinating. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat. And in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. This group of people have escaped a land called Egypt. They're in the middle of a desert. There is no natural food source. And so we're told in this story that God provides for them supernaturally. 
He's going to give them this type of bread in the morning. It's called manna. And then quail will land in the evening. They'll get both bread and they'll get meat. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. The the message from God to this group of people is, I will take care of you. Supernaturally, I will do what is necessary. You don't have the natural food that you need. I will provide. And then he does. But look what happens a little further in the story. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until the morning. You must trust that the next morning the food supply will be back in the same way it was the day before. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, boil what you want to boil, save whatever is left, and keep it until the morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. First time when they kept it the next day and they didn't trust, went bad. This time when they're told that the next day is a day of rest, they can trust God. He's going to provide enough for that day when there is no manna, there is no quail. When they keep it, it's fine. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, But on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. It's not there. There is no provision on the seventh day. This is predating this this moment where God will give these people ten commandments, and one of them will be to keep the Sabbath and to keep it holy and to rest. But in this principle for, for these people in this desert, there is this constant refrain. You work six days you take a day off. We live in a world that tells us we have to do more and more and more. There's constantly another ask. There's an anxiousness that says, I won't be provided for, there won't be enough. There's always another day to work. And these people reflect us so well. There's always the extra thing that has to be done. There is no rest. And the question is why? What causes this anxiety, this struggle that there won't be provision? Let's take a look at a story back from just before this story took place. This is when these people are still in Egypt, and it's in Exodus chapter 5, verse 6 to 12. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. These people were slaves. Their job was to make bricks for the Egyptians to keep building. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But 
Require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so they, are keep, they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use, to use for straw. This people are taught by hard experience that they have to keep producing. There's more and more to be done. And there's less and less resources to produce it with, so they have to work harder and harder to get to the same level as before. Doesn't that sound like what society tells us today? When we think about anxiety rates in 19 to 25 specifically spiking up, it's based around this fear of what does my future look like? Will there be enough resources for me? Will I match up to the expectations? Will I keep up with all of my friends that are going to go out and achieve stuff? Will I measure up? Will I be successful? There's this constant drive towards what the future looks like. And when you don't know that your future is in God's hands, what that tells you is when there's a seventh day available, you work. When there's space available, you do the extra bit. Just keep going, and one day you might be able to stop and rest, but that is not this day. Just keep on going. Can you see why that drives anxiety higher and higher? There is no ability in that scenario to trust that God will provide. In that scenario, we constantly live in the presence of this bear, we constantly live in this, this idea of sympathetic nervous system. We constantly live under this illusion that we cannot rest and digest. We are in fight or flight. There is no peace. Of course there's anxiety. What I realize about me is this. I have a desire to make myself the center of everything. The world revolves around me at my worst point. I want to know that I'm going to be successful, that I'm going to achieve, that people will look at me and think well of me, and all of those different things. That is itself, in itself is a cause for anxiety. It means that what happens to me is the biggest deal in the world. And, and somewhere, this, this Pauline thing and, and this faith thing, it asks us to step away from that. It asks us to do something else with the center of our lives or the center of the universe. It tells us we can't live in the center. This is Frederick Beekner talking about faith. Faith is not so much believing this or that thing about God as it is hearing a voice that says, come unto me. We hear the voice and we step towards it without really knowing much about the voice or ourselves. Faith is standing in the darkness and taking the hand offered to you. Maybe you've been waiting to follow Jesus until you know every single thing about him and you've got everything figured out. And that is rarely how it works. The decision to follow Jesus is to step out and take hold of a hand that says, you can trust me. I've been here before. I have walked this journey. You can come with me. We may know some of the details, we may have some things that are important that we kind of have figured out, but it's very rarely about figuring it all out mentally. Faith at its core is this hard decision to step towards this God that we don't really know yet, but who says, I know you intimately. I know everything about you. I know what you need. We're invited to step towards him. But to do that involves taking ourselves 
out of the center. This is Jesus' view of anxiety. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Do you see how that connects with this story of Egypt, this people that can't trust that tomorrow will take care of itself, or at least that God will take care of tomorrow? Do you see how it connects with what Paul tells us? But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, I'd love us to pause and acknowledge the tension there, because what I don't want you to hear is just pray about it and everything will be fine. There is some truth to the power of, or there's tons of truth to the power of prayer. Prayer does things. But when you hear that, especially if you're not on a Jesus journey right now, that can just sound slightly naive and slightly disconnecting. I remember on a journey to the Philippines, I'd never been abroad before. I was 19 years old in a team of 30-year-olds. And I remember this ferry journey as I'd already traveled for two whole days, and then there's me and 150 Filipinos in this like bunk bed situation on this ferry for 10 hours as we made our way to Mindanao, and, and I just was exhausted, just done in. I, everything was so new. And I remember getting there and them telling us, we, we won't be able to leave you in the place that you were supposed to stay. You were supposed to stay in this village, but there's been an uprising in the southern part of the island. They're invading the northern part of the island. They're kidnapping Americans and British tourists or missionaries, and we need to put you somewhere safer. So they moved us to the city. And I remember lying there the first night, and all I could hear was bang, 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 bang. And I can hear it's gunfire. I'm terrified. There's people coming and they're coming for us. And so I turned around to the 30-year-olds that I was traveling with at 19 years old. And, and I said, what do we do? And their answer was just pray about it. And I remember for me at 19 with someone who was developing my own faith, but was still figuring out my thought was, you flipping Christians, you have one answer to everything, don't you? There must be something practical that we can do that will help in this situation. But to just do nothing seems ridiculous. So if you feel that disconnect, I have been there. Now, to conclude the story, because I've told this story before and forgot to tell the ending, uh, we finally fell asleep, the noise stopped, and when we walked out the next morning, we found out what the noise was. Uh, the lady that was cooking for the conference we were attending had killed a cow, and she was using a machete to chop it up on a table right outside our window. So what sounded like gunfire was just actually good butchering. Um, so just, <laughs> the story ended up fine. Uh, but the truth is as well, the wallet can seem naive, I can tell you story after story about prayer doing the most startling things. And many of these people in the room would tell you the same thing. We see these ways that when things are committed to God in prayer, the supernatural happens. Someone once said uh, that about the idea of prayer and coincidence, that when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. There's something about our ability to come to God and give him these things and say, you take care of them, that does work. Will it solve all of your anxiety in an instant? Maybe not. Will it mean that you never have those moments where you slip into sympathetic nervous system and you're not sure what to do? Maybe not, but there are ways that when we bring things to God in prayer, our attitude changes. And we'll look at that a little bit more. The famous Psalm 23 that many of you will know that talks about God as this wonderful shepherd has this curious verse in the middle of it. I've given you the version in the message. It says, you serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You might know it as, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. 
Think for just a second about all we talked about, about sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems and how the two operate. When you think about sympathetic as, as being the stopping of your digestion system, when you think about anxiety as the reason that you're very rarely hungry when you're struggling with anxiety, God invites you in the midst of that to sit and trust him. What he essentially says is this, in the presence of this bear, I'm going to put him here at the table. I brought him a knife and fork and everything and little cups and stuff like that. It tells us that in the presence of the bear, in the presence of everything that would drive you to anxiety, you can sit and enjoy fine dining. You can sit and enjoy a meal. You don't have to allow your system to drive you into fight or flight because this God allows you to sit and enjoy fine dining even in those moments where you may feel anxious. That is the incredible joy of Psalm 23. And, and I love that Paul, this guy, is so on one hand spiritual and so on another hand practical. Because he tells us to just commit things to God, whatever you are anxious about, by prayer and supplication, let God know what you need. And then on the other hand, he gives you this very practical wisdom. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. On one hand, God says, pray. And on another hand, he says, choose to intentionally focus on what is good. Choose to take your eyes off all of the things that are negative and choose to think about these good things. As we think about anxiety, one of the things to be aware of is this, on a practical note, when you slip into that sympathetic nervous system, when you go into fight or flight, when you feel that sense of being pulled apart, it happens like a light switch. That's how the system works. Something happens and it just flicks on and you're there. And so know what flicks the switch. Know what sends you into that state. But you can't always avoid all of those things. That's just not possible. Unfortunately, the change back to parasympathetic, that doesn't happen like a flick switch. That happens like a dimmer switch. It's a slow process of slowly moving it back and allowing your body to calm and return to its normal way of processing things. So on a practical level, here's some advice. Know what turns that dimmer. Know what allows you to rest. Yes, prayer, definitely. Commit those things to God. But on a practical level, know what it is that you can do that, return, that, that will allow you to turn that dimmer and slowly return yourself to normal. Here's some ideas for you. Music around 70 beats per minute. It's the natural rhythm of your heart. When you go into fight or flight, your heartbeat increases. Music at 70 beats per minute actually allows your heart rate to return to where it's supposed to be. Being outside in natural beauty, looking at the mountains, experiencing the freshness of the air, all of those things help. Prayer, yes, we talked about that. It allows your body to, to just relax, this focus on God and bringing of things to him. Deep breaths that allow your heart rate to regulate a warm bath, drinking cold water. These are all practical things that just allow your system to reset. I love that this Bible offers us both a spiritual, yes, commit your things to God, let him take care of it, know that tomorrow will take care of itself, but also choose to think about what is good, choose to think about what is lovely. Know your body well enough to know that on a practical level, you can turn that dimmer switch.
you have more control over anxiety than you realize. You have more control than you realize. As we think about a fourth principle, I had these different ideas as we talked about different things. The, four, the first idea that I came to was give yourself a break. Anxiety is the enemy of rest. You cannot rest in anxiety. I loved about the pandemic early on that suddenly I would see families talking about sitting down to meals and suddenly there was no traffic on the roads in the evening. Did I want it to last forever? No, but there was some beauty in that moment of, okay, everything is a little different right now. Give yourself a break. Give yourself rest was another option I came up with. But I didn't feel at the end, those got to the heart of what I think we need to focus on or what we need to take from 2020. This is where I landed. Give God the center. Give God the center. That's what Jesus' language about anxiety comes down to. That's what Paul's language about anxiety comes down to. When we take God out of the center, when we place ourselves there, we constantly find ourselves flexing between sympathetic and parasympathetic. We constantly find ourselves struggling in the presence of despair. And God's word to us is, give me the center, and you can enjoy fine dining, even in the presence of the bear. I'm going to invite Aaron and the team up on stage, and we're going to pray and close. God, thank you that you're present with us. We recognize that we are in a world that's anxious. For those here that struggle with clinical anxiety, we pray that they would know no guilt over that, that they would know wise counsel, that they would know good physicians, good psychiatrists that can help them on that journey, that there can be the right medication when it's required or necessary, that there can be all those things in place. But we recognize a world where so many of us feel anxious about our futures, anxious about what is next, anxious about whether you will provide for our needs. Thank you that you invite us to come to you in prayer. You come to reflect, you invite us to come and give our needs to you. And then you ask us to trust that you will take care of them. In the midst of trusting and believing, thank you that you give us all these practical things that work on our bodies, that allow us to rest, that allow us to turn the dimmer switch. Thank you for the invitation that even in the presence of the bear, we can enjoy fine dining with you, a six-course meal. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If God is working in your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give online at southfellowship.org or on the South Fellowship Church app. Thanks for listening, South Family. Have a great rest of your day.